0: While this podcast contains little to no explicit material, it is sprinkled with some uncensored swears. Listener discretion is advised.
1: This guy being the president, it's like there's a horse loose in a hospital. It's like there's a horse loose in a hospital. I think eventually everything's going to be okay, but I have no idea. What's gonna happen next? Picture a courthouse with no fucking laws. Picture a cat house with no fucking horse. Picture a shit house with no fucking drains. Picture a leader with no fucking brains. No one knows what the horse is gonna do next. Least of all the horse. He's never been in a hospital before. He's as confused as you are. In Toadie Man's world, he likes a leash and hurl He never thought it'd come unfurled, Cause he didn't think it'd sing But the furries started chirping Usurpers are usurping And there's Toadie Man just a blur With how he used to be the king The creepiest days are when you don't hear from the horse at all <laughs> Get down in the operating room, like, hey, has anyone, uh... Has anyone heard... Those are those quiet days when people are like, it looks like the horse has finally calmed down. And then 10 seconds later, the horse is like, I'm gonna run towards the baby incubators and smash him with my hooves. I got nice hooves and a long tail, I'm a horse. And it's like, oh, that's what I thought you'd say, you dumb fucking horse.
2: All bad. What the Trump is going on? Hey, China the a cuckoo's Klan. You're making folks scared. What the Trump is going on? Hey, man, we're being sincere. Robert F. Kennedy tweeting lies everywhere around here. What's going on? here at the omniplex it's no surprise that we've expressed our grievances about the leadership for the past four years and we still stand by those remarks november 9th 2016 was a flashpoint for all of us and we've done what we were able to do in our capacity whether it was a call to action to oppose certain ideologies screaming into the void as one person in an effort to be heard in our hurt ...or checking on each other outside of the cast. To say this was a rough administration is putting it mildly. We've seen this cancer go from stage 1 to stage 5 in a matter of months before his installation... ...thanks to the despicable rhetoric targeting everyone and anyone and... ...now that he is out of the White House, we can only begin the therapy desperately needed from this abusive monster. Donald Trump is a fascist, plain and simple. Folks like to refrain from using the F-word in order to not rock the boat, but this boat was capsized several times over where the ship Poseidon looked like a playground. It's true, and saying otherwise is a denial of the facts. Looking at Umberto Eco's list of 14 properties of fascism, Trump hit every single one of them. So let's go over them. Cult of tradition in which there's only further interpretation and no new learning. Look at every person in his camp that said masks were unconstitutional in the wake of COVID 19. Rejection of modernism. Just embrace tradition by the jingo by America. Cult of action for the sake of it. How else do you explain the catchphrases of lock her up and build the wall? Disagreement as treason? Look at every official in Trump's cabinet that was ousted for going against his wishes. The appeal to the frustrated middle class, guaranteed to be at every single rally. The fear of difference? Xenophobia was part of any of his speeches DNA. The obsession of a plot? Let's not forget about the caravans, the Mexicans climbing over the border, calling members Thugs of anyone involved in Black Lives Matter or anti fascism, or Antifa, as it's commonly said among right wingers since they don't want to say what the fa part is. Enemies as both strong and weak? Look to those who are allegedly climbing over the border to rape and ravage, but also not strong enough to be worthy of assistance in impoverished areas. Contempt for the weak? Look at any time Trump would tweet with playground nicknames of Sleepy Joe, Lying Ted, Crying Chuck, Wacky Jackie, or anyone that happened to be a person of color in a position of authority. Life is permanent warfare. We were always at war with Eurasia. It just depended on what Trump wanted to rant about, but he always insisted on law and order. Selective populism. If you were a white, cisgender, heterosexual, male embracing the American colors, you were good in Trump's book, not that he would actually read. And he was your person to make sure that your will is THE will, diversity be damned. The unabashed machismo? This guy had it in spades and wanted to show it off whenever there was a camera. Most notably, he gave us moments like pretending to drive a semi, His WWE appearance way before his candidacy, constant use of the word tough, his attempt to project a sturdy stance in any interview that showed him about to fall over, and much more. The cult of death. We see it right now as his supporters marched in protest of mask mandates as the death toll rose to over 400,000 upon his exit as well as showing up at rallies, which in turn became super-spreader events on top of the January insurrection. Newspeak phrases, alternative facts, fake news. Adam Savage's quote, I reject your reality and substitute my own, stopped becoming a meme and turned into its own fact as his cult of personalities grew stronger. Rudy Giuliani said it himself, the truth isn't truth, in an interview, and superseded George Orwell in chilling dystopian phrases. Two and two no longer equal five, according to the most gigantic lying mouth of all time. Let it be said that Trump did not necessarily hate art. It was just art that wasn't about him. He never bothered to release an annual best-of list like his presidential predecessor. But the art of photography to make him look like a powerful leader? the art of documenting his rallies enough to make Reef and Stahl blush. There is danger in documenting him, no question about it. However, the mass documentation of his 2016 campaign with uninterrupted rallies, hosting Saturday Night Live, getting his hair ruffled by Jimmy Fallon, was Trump being handled with kid gloves. He's only a lad, you really can't blame him. At the same time, there was that refrain about Hillary's emails, Donald the Dove, Hillary the Hawk, along with the proclamation of a new tone whenever he was required to slur and sniff his way through a prepared speech. Any pundit who said he pivoted never really cared if he did. Their transaction with Satan was made ages ago. It was in this administration that we saw Fox News transform into something more horrific as sexual harassment allegations were made against Roger Ailes and Bill O'Reilly and then dramatized far too quickly in the 2019 film, Bombshell. Now, they've returned to sniping at any little step towards helping people that just want to survive and criticizing President Biden for all the wrong reasons that bring back memories of Obama's tan suit. And what about its base? It's pack of dogs at the ready, pigs on the wing, and the sheep, meek and obedient, trotting down corridors into the Valley of Steel. Ha ha, charade they aren't. Fascism, like casinos, airlines, and stakes, is a marketable product in the 21st century. Yes, all presidents had their own set of merchandise at any DC shop, but Trump's brand was unmistakably brash and obnoxious. The iconic red hats, the catchphrases, the iconography, and much more. There's a buck to be made there. Hell, there was merch made for the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol, parried Captain America Civil War, among other things, by his followers. With four years of bombarding messages, it was clear they had their propaganda and revisionism broadcasting the insurrection in high-def ultra-realism. Why? All a part of this great nation. As for the rest of us hostages of these unfunny games, we can only wish to rewind to that fateful day where he descended from the escalator in a slower fashion than God expelling Lucifer. Does God stay in heaven because he lives in fear of what we did? Clearly, because you have folks still doing mental gymnastics by supporting Trump and all of his vices and claiming it's all in the name of the Lord. Between moving their goalposts on what's acceptable in the Lord's eyes and seeing Trump as this divinely ordained being by ministers and artists, the idea of God being dead extends far beyond a trilogy around persecution complexes. The photo op of Trump outside the church in the wake of the George Floyd protest. That came at the cost of forcing everyone out of the church by police, along with the use of tear gas and riot gas, as well as Trump trying to defend said photo in later interviews. And, while priests are not allowed to endorse candidates at the pulpit, it didn't stop some from calling the act of voting for Biden as a mortal sin worthy of eternal damnation. At the January 6 attack, There were a number of folks waiving their stance of Jesus as their savior and Trump as their president, making it a political and religious act, a deadly combination in any circumstance. Keep in mind that Donald is not solely to blame as much as we wish it would be the case. From 2015 to 2021, the media covered him and all those years he was. Journalism has struggled to take Trump to task in having him answer complex questions, resulting in Trump quitting an interview with CBS in the Axios interview from August 2020, where he blustered his way through explaining why the coronavirus death toll was so high in America, then over 150,000, by saying, They are dying, that's true, and it is what it is. Social media ran rampant with misinformation from anything to everything to where Trump eventually had accounts suspended or banned after the insurrection. Sure, the main source of misinformation was silenced, but far too late to be effective. Even after this recording, we're still learning details on how much worse it could have been. Any action flick involving attacks on D.C. is now reduced to a mediocre fanfic that got a budget. Why? There's plenty of live stream footage from the Six that does not need to be replicated for the sake of the box office, much less misconstrued in over two hours plus credits and an expensive for your consideration campaign. In fact, there should be a 20 year moratorium on any dramatized depiction of this administration as we're still processing the ongoing traumas. Yes, we got some 9 11 pictures a few years after it happened, like. United 93, and World Trade Center, among others, but we've since seen a daily death count from COVID-19 that rivals that of 9-11 on a much more subdued level. Should we as a society learn from our mistakes, if we so choose to? There's plenty of reference material from fact and fiction. Several pieces of art made themselves a second or third home in these five years. Ace in the hole. Election. Citizen Kane, A Face in the Crowd, Do the Right Thing, Bamboozled, Network, The Wall, Duck Soup, The Great Dictator, among others. There was also the 1958 episode of the television western Trackdown, which features a con artist with the surname of Trump as he dupes citizens into building a wall in the most unnerving fashion that outdoes The Simpsons in predicting the future. For music... It was a return to the Bush era and before. Roger Waters managed to repurpose Pink Floyd songs for the Trump administration. Green Day's American Idiot was revived in live shows with Billy Joe Armstrong tweaking the lyric to read, I'm not part of a dumb Trump America, along with the resounding chant of no Trump, no KKK, no fascist USA. The punk scene had no shortage of material from this era as the renewed refrain of Nazi punk's fuck off. There was solace in the arts that transcended time and circumstances. If you're listening to this, it's clear you managed to get through the Trump administration in one form or another, and good for you. Bear in mind that a large number haven't. With 400,000 reported dead from COVID since Biden was sworn in, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, the victims of the Las Vegas shooting in 2017, Sutherland Springs Church, Stoneman Douglas, the Tree of Life Synagogue, Poway Synagogue, Heather Heyer, the unknown victims in the ICE detention centers, both living and dead, and countless others, there is a large number of folks that should be alive but aren't. This episode will try and cover the Trump era, but we will obviously skip over some things or omit them without realizing it until it's too late. This is solely a standalone episode, unlike our quarantine cast. It's a new administration, one that needs to be held accountable for their actions, like all the others before it and those yet to come. Uniting with those who supported Trump is a lost cause with dangerous results and will not be tolerated. Put in the effort to unfuck yourself and others by reading up on how fascism works and how to identify it Know how white privilege works. Learn how to shut the fuck up and actively listen to and support minority voices. Call out injustice when it's present and never stop learning. Death to fascism. The omniplex is now open.
3: I don't even know how on earth I can follow that. I, I don't. Everything we're going to say next is just going to be... It's just going to be us trying to deal with everything. Zephyr, profound stuff there.
2: Let's start with November 9th,
3: 2016. A night where it, it bears noting that two-thirds of us were in the same room when Trump was elected.
0: Yeah, and what we thought was not going to happen, like we fully expected, Yeah, like we we were ready to sit back and go, oh, well, you know, let's watch the first woman president happen. And uh, Yeah,
3: we, we said it a few times that day. Yeah, we? we
0: did. We were very hopeful. And uh, it's like, yeah, there's no possible way he could, oh, it just went, yeah, it was more dour as it went on. And uh, there was much anger. There was much drinking.
3: Ugh. Too much drinking. Yeah, Yeah. You know, the day after, the day after he was elected, I had a complete breakdown, and that breakdown would last for about a year, if I'm honest. I don't think it was until about September of 2017 that I was even starting to come up out of my depression. There were a few times I had to talk to the police because my anxiety was too bad. And I don't know if I've ever said that on the record, but there you go. Um, and it wasn't just Trump. There was a lot in my life, um, a lot of anxiety I was dealing with. but This administration caused more anxiety than I ever needed, and the fact that we are recording this first cast in the post-Trump era is astonishing to me. We waited until the inauguration was over and done, and if you've been following the news this weekend, that was a good thing to do, because... who boy. Yeah?
0: I have not been following the news this weekend. What's happening?
3: It's become clear that there was a lot of concerted effort on trump's part to overthrow the election yeah i mean
0: yeah no surprise we knew that
3: we knew that but we didn't know how bad it was um he really and truly he tried to overthrow american democracy there's no other way around it we 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 all need to realize that it was basically down to people telling him no Mm. and that's that's it that's what saved it and that's unreal people willing to tell him no Yeah. (sighs) You know, you said you wanted to rewind to that day, but I wanna rewind a little bit back further. I wanna rewind a little bit further. All right. To the summer of twenty sixteen when in retrospect we should have known this was coming. Because of how the media absolutely we it goes back even further. It goes back to when he announced the media could not wait for a Trump presidency. It was the most exciting thing in the world for the corporate media. A Trump presidency, that was gonna be hilarious. Every hack comedian, every good comedian had five minutes on Trump. How could this not be funny? How could this not be fun? I'm gonna say right now, I blame Saturday Night Live. I blame Jimmy Fallon. I blame all the corporate media. I hold them accountable for how they handled this. I hold MSNBC, CNN, and Fox News accountable for how, even though there were other perfectly, well, perfectly candidates, let's just go with candidates opposing Trump, they, they fell all over themselves to make him the story. They made him the front runner. He is the media's Frankenstein. And it's because the media has always loved Trump. I don't know how many of y'all have gone back through art that you loved as comfort food in the last four years, but I know you have. And how many of y'all have had this experience where you would be going back through something you loved and suddenly you'd hit a reference to him?
0: Yeah. Um, good good uh, example. I have a story. Christmas Eve 2016, I, I was still working night shift at my old job. I was so down on, like, oh, God. You know, because it was still the, like, we we're, were hoping against hope that, uh, like, kind of the opposite of this election, uh, that, like, something would intervene to make him stop, because we knew he was crazy, and it's like, no, no it's happening, yeah. and yeah. we eventually had to accept that. I went to Target, you know, off at midnight, went to Target, uh, it's like, I know I'm not supposed to buy stuff for myself, but, you know, because tomorrow's Christmas, but... Uh, I need a balm. I need something innocent. I need something good. I got Mickey's Christmas Carol and just a $5 copy of Little Rascals. Oh, Uh, I know. You see see where this is going. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, To quote Mike Birbiglia, I know I am also in the future. Uh, Yeah. I hadn't seen it in 20 years. So I'm like, Oh, this will be, this will be great to revisit. And it's a lovely film it is a lovely film it's still except up. for one problem except for one problem you get to the end the rich kid like a box the the soapbox derby uh the rich kid calls up his dad and lo and behold fucking donald trump 1995 or whenever it was 94 94 and I'm like oh it was such a stab to the heart
3: that's how it You know, I would go back through stuff like Pearls Before Swine or Foxtrot, and even those really innocent, sweet strips would hit on, they'd they'd make references to him. You could, any any art that you read from 2004, 2005 is going to reference The Apprentice.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: It's just, he was so everywhere, and the media salivated at the thought of, Oh, this guy that's always been fun. Oh yay, he's going to, you know.
0: <sighs> yeah. Which is something unfortunately people I knew were saying like, "Oh yeah, well he's not a politician, so he's going to shake things up like he's going to." And, you know, the answer is, well, yeah, he's not a politician. He has no clue what the hell he's doing. And I know <sighs> this is a I know this is a um this is a film and media culture cast, but this is the culture of the media yeah. we're about to talk about. So, you know, So we have to, we have to, you know, (laughs) go on this a
3: little bit. He, he, it just, it was one of those things. It, you know, everyone thought this was going to be fun. And I want to point out a couple of casts that we did that I feel were really pointing the way. We had our finger on the pulse about the misogyny that was going on pretty early on. That, That was a mission statement for us early on was to focus on that. Trump weaponized that. Trump gave those guys a voice. Trump said, okay, I'm one of you. And he gave, so in retrospect, as silly as it is, the hatred about Ghostbusters, the hatred about women in media, all that, you know, the hatred about minorities in media and all that, it should have been a sign of something that was coming. Someone was going to come along and pick up those voters, and Trump gave them the demagogue they wanted. And what it resulted in, you know, there is that ongoing joke that you always hear about. Oh, well, you know, at least it's going to lead to some great art.
1: <laughs> the four mm. years
3: that are just behind us are some of the most fallow period in art I've ever seen. Uh, you know, Zephyr, you brought up that American Idiot got repurposed.
2: Well, not not just repurposed. Well, okay, yes, repurposed to a degree, but... Other songs from other yeah. bands got repurposed,
3: but like the Bush era,
2: yeah, the Bush era. So like, like Green Day, Radiohead, and well, Waters didn't have anything in the Bush era. Now that I think of it, no,
3: but Radiohead and Green Day were very prolific and put out some of their best material ever in that period. I, I don't. This is this can't be a hot take, but I think American Idiot absolutely still bangs. I think it is. A, it's a dynamite album. I listened to it a lot in college. I still think it's fantastic. I think I, I'm a Green
2: Day fan. I don't.
3: I don't. Even, I don't even know why that's controversial. They're incredibly talented.
2: Um, Their last album was kind of shit. I mean, just look at that cover. Look at that fucking cover. Well, I mean, look. Not, <laughs> not
3: everybody. You can't bet a thousand. Uh, but you know what I'm True. saying.
2: But that was in the era. It counts. But I think it speaks (laughs) to the fact that here's the thing. What
3: nobody reckoned with when we were saying this was going to be fun was how unbelievably bleak these four years were. In the three years that we had leading up to COVID, it was so bad that when the pandemic hit, we just kind of rolled with it. Any other administration, this would have been a derailing moment at which our souls would have, you know, and everyone would have been able to handle it. But we had four years of nothing but having our rights set on fire. And here we are.
0: Like, I don't think it's so much as rolling with it as everything finally collapsed.
3: Yeah. Everything finally collapsed.
0: And it's not, that's not just because of Trump. I will say that our system is kind of bunk. was kind of bunk to begin with. And I doubt that... Bunk is a good word. Bunk, yeah. Uh, I doubt that in Hillary's America, this would have been... Well, no, I'm not gonna say that. I'm not gonna say that. She
3: would have at least had a plan.
0: She would have had a plan, and like recently, uh, the Biden administration was kind of horrified to go in there and say, "Okay, we're gonna restructure whatever plan he had in place to, for to roll out the vaccines." And oh, there was no plan. Oh, so we kind of have to, we kind of have to uh, start from scratch. Shit.
3: Thankfully, thankfully, Biden was doing a parallel plan all along apparently um yeah which is good if you read him in interviews he was always talking in march about here's what i would do and then now that he's president gee guess what that's what he's doing
0: yeah going back to comedians like comedian responses i like i've listened to the likes of mark Marin and Patton oswald and the, the only comedian who has managed to work it into an absolute killer bit <laughs> Is uh, John Mulaney, which obviously yeah. you you heard some of at the beginning at the front of this cast, but um and of course it's a namesake of this cast. But all the other ones are like, you know what? This is my like five to ten minutes on him, and that's all I'm gonna do because you know this sucks. And uh I think Patton Oswalt probably made the most po- the most poignant like comment at the beginning, like when he did his. Uh, his, uh, I think, his first post-Trump thing was "Annihilation," yeah. About his, you know, mostly an ode to his uh, deceased partner. Um, uh, he said, you know, I think during the Obama administration, uh, we were patting ourselves on the back a little bit too much. Like, yep, we accomplished it. It's like, no, 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 and
3: I don't think we're gonna make that mistake again. I, hope I, not. I already see a very different internet. Um, I see a very different response. I see people already putting Biden's feet to the fire. Yeah,
0: good. But yeah, I, I really hope that the um, like people who say, you know what, it's just the beginning. Someone smarter and, uh, and therefore more dangerous is going to come along and weaponize that same
3: base. We really were saved by Trump being an absolute useless human being. Useless imbecile. I had to think of a non-ableist term because so many terms are ableist, but he's a useless human being. Yeah. He which I, no I probably t- which
2: I probably just used and I apologize. Oh well yeah. I mean but I mean let, 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 let's face it, it ableism was inherent within Trump's DNA, both in words, actions, policies, and society has in turn tried to put it back on him even still now on on late night shows uh like the amount of times i hear the term deranged and psychotic on something like seth myers i'm like you're better than this come on and the fact that disabled circles online have been pushing back against this Ever since the beginning, and most notably that instance in his candidacy, <sighs> uh, we know the incident. Yep, where he mocks the disabled reporter, Sergey. Say his name. It
0: gets more and more prominent every time I see it. Every time he did something, um, I'm glad to. I'm glad to put that um, sentence in the past tense. Every time he did something, not does something. But yeah, every time he did something, uh, showing that that still of him doing that and, and saying, uh, I can't believe for life of me that this was not the end of it.
2: No, the, the fucking end point should have been his opening candidacy, candidacy speech. It should have fucking ended there. But no, absolutely fucking not. Because they loved him. Because the media loved the story.
3: The Onion, which... I'm going to, here, I could say something nice about someone. The Onion was always razor sharp this four years, and they always are. The Onion is, the writers they hire for that site are the best in the world. I went back and I read the piece that they did when Trump announced, and it's a dark piece of writing, which he says, admit it, you're curious to see where this goes. And it was written in 2015, and it reads like a threat today. I mean, it's it's joking and it's light, but it's totally them laying out exactly what's going to happen. You know, the thing is, the media gave Trump a pass. Here were the things that we knew about him. We knew he was racist as hell. We knew he hated women. But we knew he was a terrible businessman. We knew he was a, just an atrocious human being. The allegations of spousal abuse have been documented for decades the media had access to all this stuff in 26 2015 2016 they could have ended him but because they had bought into the myth don't even give me a start on what an absolutely god-awful businessman he is he is a branding expert and that's it
0: yeah i, I remember hearing him say uh oh yeah i'm going to run this country like i run my businesses I yes mean, you did my response yes, did. has always
3: been into the ground and that's exactly what he did you know, and I cannot state this enough. I, this is going to be my big area where I really want to rant is how useless liberal comedy was in this age. Um, I am a Saturday night live fan. I have been my whole life and I probably always will be because when it does absurdist comedy, it does it better than just about anybody else. Um, And most of the show is usually absurdist comedy, but anytime they tried to get political in this era, because it was so privileged, so white I mean, I'm not even getting into the fact that Alec Baldwin is notoriously an absolutely wretched human being, and they had him on as Trump, as if that was like some kind of, I don't know what the hell that was. Baldwin's Trump was shit, and has forever damaged how I view him as a comedian. Uh, he's got he was god awful. So, and I I never watch SNL's political comedy. Uh, the way that they went overboard on celebrities as the famous people was terrible.
0: Like De Niro, De Niro as Mueller, uh, Ben Stiller as uh, Michael Cohen, yeah, and uh, Jim
3: Carrey as Biden. The only one I thought was good because it stemmed from a joke and because the performance was legitimately great was Anthony Fauci had the joke that he wanted to be played by Brad Pitt, <laughs> and SNL had Pitt do it, but <laughs> I excuse that because. Pitt was really funny as hell in it.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, you know, I mean, that's one good thing that happened during this administration. Brad Pitt got his Oscar.
2: I would like to offer a second counter, uh, counter actor, Matt Damon, Brett Kavanaugh during the confirmation hearing. Yes.
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was, that was, that, that was wonderful. God. David just absolutely went for it. And also, he actually fit. He resembles Kavanaugh, and Uh that was killer, yeah. But otherwise, if you couldn't get it as good as that, and my God, how quickly did this be, did the white feminist whining, and I hate to say that, but this was really the era where I think Tina Fey lost a lot of her credibility. um Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt just absolutely collapsed to ashes.
0: before Yeah, I, I couldn't
3: watch after the second season. After the second season, and it crawled up its own ass, I couldn't watch it. Um, when she went on SNL and did the bit about the way to deal with Trump, with the stress with Trump, was to go eat a whole sheet cake. Jesus Christ, you privileged asshole. Go contribute money to a battered women's shelter or something. Do you not know how utterly horrifying that sounded? Um, And I think that, but, and I think that the easy jokes finally reached an apex when uh, John Oliver did a bit on his show last year and Trump had said something stupid. And there you go. I see the ableism slips in and Oliver. And then a banner dropped and they said, we got him. And Oliver was like, can we stop this? Because they, and he, he even said, we didn't get him. We never get him. Because that's the thing. People kept thinking, oh, the media's finally got him. Mm-hmm. And they never well, got
0: him. Yeah, no, I knew it was uh, like the moment that I knew that nothing would, uh, like, as far as media went, like, take him down was, you know, just before the election, like, and in, in, circle back to Saturday Night Live, the Access Hollywood bus like that whole thing and i will tell you i've only heard that entire tape like recently and i will circle back to that but like oh yep that's it and then of course when miranda went on sorry night live and did a still funny uh
3: but god he has to regret it now
0: yeah hamilton rap where he stops at trump's picture like out in the hallway
1: yeah, and so we thicken the plot, stirring the pot tonight. I'm finally earning my spot on this wall in this hall, and I'm getting a piece of it, like Miley Schumer, Tracy Morgan, and this piece.
2: <laughs> never, never gonna be president now. Never gonna be
0: president now. Never gonna be president now. Never gonna. Be I'm never gonna, be I'm never gonna be... Yeah, his response when. Uh he got elected what was to next to the next day um after the election drop the first he's like oh shit well
3: here's the first track of the hamilton mixtape miranda was one of the rare people who i think has reckoned with the fact that so much of liberal commentary was not ready to handle trump he's you know of course miranda's an awesome guy when people pointed out that he overlooked a lot of issues in hamilton he said yeah you're right
0: yeah i actually have that tweet up put into context this is uh after the hamilton movie dropped for reference hamilton opened in mid-2015 still in the obama era at Brookie mcpoverty on twitter it says, I'm late with Ham- with the Hamilton criticism stuff. I'm clearly biased, but I really like that this conversation is happening. Hamilton, the play and the movie were given to us in two different worlds and our willingness to interrogate things in this way feels like a clear sign of change. And then Lynn responds, appreciate you so much. All the criticisms are valid. The sheer tonnage and complexities and failings of these people I couldn't get or wrestled with but cut. I took six years and fit in as much as I could in a two point five hour musical. Did my best. It's all fair game.
3: And I think that's what the liberal commentators needed to be doing, but instead they dug in their heels and, and I think that that's what result. And I think that that very discomfort with not being willing to wrestle with our discomfort of, you know, it really helped keep the art at a stoic pace because. To really interrogate this stuff, we have to interrogate the problems on the left as well as the right. I hate that Ryan Murphy, of all people, was one of the few people to actually do it with American Horror Story Cult to point out the hypocrisy of all sides and how the left wasn't ready to deal with it because they thought that all this was going to be easy and safe and even called out, this is the only time I'm going to reference this name, but even had their main character that season, be called out for voting for Jill Stein instead of Hillary Clinton.
2: The very few comedy specials that still manage to make some sort of impact, at least through the Trump era, were John Mulaney's Kid Gorgeous, where we got... Which is fantastic. ...the, the cast namesake, and Hannah Gadsby's Nanette. And her follow-up, Douglas, which is now up for some awards. So, yay, Hannah! Good. But really, outside of that, like, Trevor Noah's special couldn't do it. Uh, Seth Meyers' Lobby Baby couldn't do it. There's something to be said about where we are right now in terms of how immediate everything is. Because as soon as something happens, it's already halfway down the meme cycle, yeah, like like right now we're only a couple of days after the inauguration, and I'm sick and tired of the Bernie sitting meme. I was done with it by sundown, yeah, on Wednesday. Like, yeah, that was a neat little moment, but outside of that, come on, give it a a rest. Like, it's very difficult to do something thoughtful, and when you're given a lot of, like, the span of a year to try and condense all that into comedy that is still somewhat fresh, it can't be done. And I'm going to point out a very specific... A uh, very specific example here. Okay. It was announced early in 2020 that there would be no sixth season of Black Mirror. So instead, what we got at the very end of 2020 was the quote unquote comedy special on Netflix called Death to 2020. A thing that is barely an hour, took 18 fucking writers to recycle various punchlines from 2020 it's deadly it none of it was funny if you can make hugh grant
3: unfunny then you've really blown it for me because that guy just makes me laugh with the tiniest gesture was was the only comp? was the only thing they told leslie jones to do in it hey swear a lot
2: and sadly Leslie Jones was really the only good part. Like I would rather just have her stuff in like a short video and be like, "Okay, there we go. Bite-sized." Human beings are social animals. So shutting down social interactions goes against our instinct. I
0: mean
3: for most folks, not me. I fucking hate people. Yeah, but do you follow her do you follow her Twitter feed? That woman can't not make me laugh.
2: Like, I saw what was it, her Time Machine special. Yeah. Where, yeah, it's
3: funny. And it should be noted, maybe she didn't have, like, the conventional easy stuff to point to, but she had a real ascendance in these four years. Yeah. Uh, uh, She really became more prominent. She had a a prominent rise on SNL, and then she left that to host Supermarket Sweep. She's had a really solid four years, and I'm glad for that, because...
0: yeah, and I think I think she also spoke up about why she left SNL. Uh,
3: she didn't. She didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, she had some. She has, they, there were some issues, but God, she was good on it.
0: I do want to segue from uh, um, like a good segue from Deaths of 2020. Something I can recommend um, uh, is Sarah Cooper's special. Everything's fine like it yeah it does it does use some of those same jokes but it kind of in a it's a more i don't know how to describe it but it's it's more funny in the little things than it is in like the over like you know this sucks it's hard to describe i recommend it and the reason one of the reasons i want to bring her up is that uh and tab told me about this i didn't know this but uh she made her comedy career on tiktok where she did like reenactments of uh donald trump's speeches and uh her goal was to point out like you know people hear him saying stuff obviously we realize how stupid it is but i'm sorry i used the word uh, <laughs> see at least we're
3: calling ourselves out on that
0: know, oh, right how asinine his stuff there is. you go that's great there word. we go better word um Like, for instance, she showed me, like, the thing where he talks about, like, he just rattles off a thing off the top of his head. Which is, oh, yeah, well, you know, you can inject bleach. (laughs) She cuts back and forth between herself, like, doing that and then showing, like, her, like, holding a spray bottle up to her arm and just, like, (laughs) (laughs) So, it's really funny. But, yeah, that's one piece of art that came out of the Trump admin as far as comedy goes.
3: Uh, it launched a career, or at least you know, it helped. You know, there was a point that I, I wanted to bring up about talking about the challenge of condensing this all in. And Pat Oswald talked about this uh, in Annihilation. He said that trying to figure out, tr- trying to keep track of like what Trump has done lately, it you can't do it because he's always because he's always on to like ten different things after. You've said it. And that's why Oswald really took his hands off it and really didn't do much with it. Because he, he said, look, we can't keep up with this. And and that's really what the last four years felt like. was, And it's, why, it's one reason I think that so much art struggled in this administration was because you can't keep up with it. There was a new thing every single day. And it was an exhausting four years. I've been very open about my battle with PTSD. Uh, from a traumatic childhood where the school system failed me. And every day in this administration was living with that feeling. I got to hand it to Trump. He really, he he got that right. (sighs) So I I do want to point out that it's not like we didn't have a lot of art that tried to be of the moment. I just, I mean, you know, we had the aforementioned bombshell, which that... Boy, that, that came and went without a without anybody remembering it, didn't it?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I I still to this day cannot believe that someone in Hollywood thought that a biopic of Megan Kelly was a good idea.
0: Now, who's Megan Kelly?
3: She was the woman at the center of the Roger Ailes scandal. And she is a horrifying bigot, I should point out. The Fox News guy? Yep. And she was a victim of Roger Ailes, and that's not a good thing, and obviously I'm not saying it is. But she's a horrifying bigot and it's so telling that movie had Kate McKinnon in it it really is I think of her as symbolizing a lot of how much got missed in this era
2: one one thing that I'm gonna need to bring up in this uh, since we're talking about films the Trump administration uh, within it we saw the purchase of fox from disney and with it i remember back in the day back back when it was talked about as a possibility and everyone's like oh cool we're gonna see you know wolverine and you know fighting with iron man or wh- whatever the fuck and i'm like okay no we're not <laughs> it's like Yeah, that might be cool for you, but you're not grasping the bigger picture of it being a literal monopoly, Yeah, and within years after its purchase, we've seen theaters uh, not being given the rights to uh, show older Fox titles because of... Because of licensing issues, we've also seen Disney not really giving a damn about what they've acquired outside of Star Wars, which was a Fox property, and maybe Fantastic Four, and X-Men, and Deadpool. At
0: least as far as the original trilogy being Fox
2: property, yeah. And the prequels, too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the prequels were Fox. I forgot about that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so right now you have, right now we're having issues with Disney trying to, again, give a damn about their archive because there are a lot of films within the Fox library that are great, but might not get the love and care that they absolutely deserve because they are not popular enough. Two words, Disney Vault. No, no, no. It's worse than that. Yeah, it's worse than the Disney Vault because right now, if you're trying to find uh, some out-of-print titles or whatever from Disney and you want them on Blu-ray... Forget about it. No, actually, no. no, Believe it or not. Uh, The Disney Movie Club will have like exclusive Blu-rays of of older titles but it will only be just the movie and nothing more put on the blu-ray disc it's blu-ray for the sake of blu-ray and the fact that you would need to have a subscription in order to access those titles without having to go through like a third party retailer or whatever because i've had to do that a couple of times and so even Disney doesn't care about their own vault, So you can forget
3: Fox. They just, they, they strip mind it for about, I'd say 50 titles. And then that's about it. And it's 50 titles they can use on their streaming services and the Simpsons. They like having the Simpsons. Um, I mean, it, it really is. It's deeply frustrating. And, I will say this. I'm also going to say I'm not completely OK with AT&T buying Time Warner, which forced the very ill-advised um, rush move on all of their films without getting the to HBO Max, without getting uh, a contract deal with making sure that everybody got the gross participation that they needed. Uh, which, by the way, that did have to be amended. Uh, Warner Brothers had to go back and uh, make some major payments. Uh, they're going to bleed money this year. Um, Though I should point out, I actually just saw one of the HBO Max titles in a theater yesterday. Uh, I saw Wonder Woman 1984 yesterday theatrically. I mean, I think in general, you know, certainly the Disney Fox one is the most troubling. But in general, there was a real chilling effect because no one was stepping in to put antitrust pressure on this stuff. So AT&T forced some horrifying moves at uh, Time Warner. But AT&T and Time Warner, that that was an ugly merger. Um, Comcast and Universal, that's an ugly merger. All this stuff is ugly, and, you know, you would be saying, well, then what about the indie studio stepping up? I'm sorry, A24 is bullshit, and I'm tired of us pretending it's not. To quote Joker, kind of. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 they are, they are, they, they have their heads so far up their asses, for God's sake, Disney did a better job with a, uh, prestige title this year with how they handled uh, David Copperfield than A24 has done with any of their stuff this year. Just saying. Because at least Disney released the damn thing. And again, it's very good. And also I will say, I credit where credit's do. I like what they're doing with Nomadland uh, putting that on Hulu.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But, but you could even then go to the theory of they may be doing that for Marvel reasons. Uh, they want to make their Marvel director happy. Because the director of Nomadland has a Marvel movie at the end of this year. I don't know.
2: Yeah, let, let let's talk about Marvel for a bit, shall we? Because it was in this administration that we got the ending chapters to the first three phases of the Marvel saga. The Infinity Saga, yeah. 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 And how Disney has lined up for the next several years all of these specific Marvel and Star Wars even, and like all of these other side spin-off projects, sequels, threequels. Which I wish they hadn't announced that all
3: in that one day, because I think it looked worse than it should have. It shouldn't have been a media event.
2: Here, here, here's the thing. Normally they all of those announcements would be spread throughout the year. Exactly, But, circumstances. So, what ended up being, like, we didn't get anything for, like, June or Comic-Con or, you know, their main... NYCC
3: was off.
2: Yeah, because we did not have those conventions, there weren't those announcements until they lumped it all into one. They had to.
0: And also, I want to kind of call out um, Disney for absolutely refusing to release any of their Marvel films outside of theater. Like, good on them for not pushing. Like, um, get real. Yeah, not pushing the theater release, and they did. They did do some uh, titles direct to Disney Plus, like Mulan. And, oh, that's okay. That's also kind of disgusting because they Mulan and Soul, which are both. Mm-hmm. Um, which are both non-white stories. They pushed to Disney Plus, and uh, but no Marvel, except outside of the series that we're going to release there anyway, are not good enough for to Disney Plus release. They have to be in the theater. Uh, yeah, sorry, that's my first time putting that together. Yeah, not exactly the first, but you know, just just the the exactly the totality of it. Uh, just kind of hit me, but um
2: what the hell disney (laughs) well keep in mind they also artemis fowl was supposed to be theatrical yeah and that's why it was supposed to be
0: theatrical that's true
2: yeah and that and that thankfully got dumped on disney plus even though it was also featured under 2020 highlights on the service which okay whatever I'm sure I've, I'm
3: sure that when the day that when the year is over, I can remember the time that I had violent stomach problems too. Yeah. But I mean, here's the thing about Marvel and Zephyr. I know you're. I think you were probably building to this point, so I'm sorry. If, sorry if I'm going to steal it, but I do think it's interesting that the two Marvel works that we're going to take away from this era are both about diversity.
2: Mm-hmm. The two Marvel films that were actually worth a damn in this administration, were Black Panther and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Two films, both released in the same year, that are still talked about today immensely. Even more so since Chadwick Boseman passed away last year, and how Marvel was trying to figure out how to do Black Panther 2 without him.
3: They're in such a difficult position because... They they can't just cancel it, but they can't just recast it either. And
0: I'll offer an opposing viewpoint on that, which was um like and I'm not trying to play devil's advocate. Devil's advocate is such a dumb. Sorry, I say it again. Uh, it's such a not good thing to to play. But uh, I saw a viewpoint that said, um, why can't Black Panther be recast? He really should be. Bond is recast all the time, you know, and uh, like as well, as well as many other white parts, so yeah, I have respect for Chadwick Boseman, I understand, because he did a real
2: good job, he was fantastic, he he was Black Panther, yeah. even though I saw a bunch of white kids dressed up as him for Halloween. Yeah. Oh, god. Don't wait, oh, god. Oh, god. do that, oh god, and, oh, god. yeah, I. At, at the time, I was a handler for a cosplay group, and I'm seeing a bunch of white kids running around in Black Panther suits, and I'm like, parents, probably should have told the kid no. They can be Batman or Spider-Man. Yeah, but they can't be Black Panther. It's literally in this fucking DNA. And I even got pushback, too, about that stance, believe it or not. I tried arguing, you know white people shouldn't dress up as black panther and they're like but everyone else and i'm like y-. okay everyone else is bad what's next uh-huh.
0: <laughs> like just if your friends jumped off a bridge would you also do it
3: <gasps> they're jumping off a bridge under the right circumstances probably <laughs> oh my god here's the thing because i'm a comic fan the way that i look at it as is a lot of the marvel movies that we had this these four years were a lot of fun some of them were the trade paperbacks that would instantly get remaindered like dark phoenix and new mutants some of them were stuff that it eh, would stay in print and it's solid um you know i wasn't the biggest captain marvel fan um or an ant-man and the wasp was modest but you know they're they're they're, they're okay and then the, some of them yeah they'd be prominent trades but they wouldn't exactly be the ones that, in a few years, everyone would be grasping at. They might just be digital only. But those are the two that would that would be getting ten year reprints, twenty year reprints, etc. That's what those are. They'd, they'd be getting the big omnibus hardcovers.
0: One thing, just to kind of jump tracks a little bit, brief mention, like because Marvel had a vacuum uh, in twenty twenty, highest grossing superhero film was Sonic the Hedgehog, which has been the first time that uh, a non-Marvel property
2: uh, had that (laughs) title in years. Well, non-Marvel and non-DC. Oh, this is true. Because I want to talk about DC as well. Yeah. Let's talk about Joker, okay?
3: A perfect film for this era, in some not very good ways, so go on.
2: I'm on the record stating that I absolutely detested Joker, okay? I'm also not a fan of Todd Phillips' work, lest we forget paging Dr. Faggot from the first of the three Hangover films. Oh, yikes. Oh, yeah. Everyone forgets about that. Oh, no, no. I've,
3: I, it's, it's, I'm fascinated by how much The Hangover Part 2 forced us to all remember The Hangover much more accurately.
2: I've only seen the first one, so it's probably why this is new to me, but Jesus. It's 20 minutes in. I actually waited until, like, last year to watch The Hangover for the first time, and I'm like, what the fuck was everyone so into? I don't even,
3: I was a fan, and I don't even, I can't even tell you.
2: Okay, so, Joker. It's, look. In the hands of any other person, Joaquin Phoenix did a really good job portraying someone that could be joker but not the joker okay because this was american psycho light yeah that's all it was that that's all it was and when we get not to mention the fact that for such a quote-unquote serious film it got heavily memed all be well the one scene we all know the one scene the final scene of Joker and uh, Murray, the, the lead-up to Murray's assassination on camera. How that was... Spoiler not spoiler. No one gives a shit. I haven't even seen the movie. And Look, when it's been memed constantly over the past year or so, that specific scene, it's no longer a fucking spoiler. Yeah. The fact that... You have this character who openly admits to being mentally unstable, committing acts of violence. It's not exactly helping the mental health community in any way, shape, or form. Not one fucking bit. And then, and then, let's go forward a couple of months to George Floyd and those protests. You had some people dressed up as Walking Phoenix's Joker, among the people protesting and dancing to try and mimic the anarchy and whatnot that eighties Joker was trying to, to convey. And my, my issues with Joker are, are a lot more nuanced with that, but the fact that you have people who are ignorant enough of what the film is to try and Dress as him in a moment of actual crisis when people you were actually you just want to slap him.
0: Very, oh, very tone oh.
2: deaf. Yeah, one hundred percent. well more than just slap. <laughs> Actively punch. I'm being nice
3: today, okay?
2: <laughs> Actively I mean,
3: punch. ask him how they got those scars. You know, it's more than a little bit funny that you bring that up because let's not forget one of the guys in one of the scenes in that in The Dark Knight, uh, the one that uh, the Joker says looks like his father, is President Pro Tem of the Senate right now in real life. That is completely true. Senator Patrick Leahy uh, is the guy that the Joker in The Dark Knight says that because Leahy is a huge Batman fan and has cameoed in lots and lots of Batman stuff. He's been in the Tim Burton Batman universe, in the Dark Knight universe, in the DC Extended universe, in the uh, DC Animated universe. I think I saw something about that. Yeah. He is wow. a huge Batman fan. And he actually got a really cool as hell moment in uh, in the Dark Knight. So it's funny you bring that up.
2: But yeah. I, I also want to point out... That in the lead up to Joker's premiere, the, the nationwide premiere, not, not yeah. Cannes or Venice Film Festival, uh, there were actual concerns about violence that would happen at the theater because the last time we had a Batman related film, people were murdered in Aurora
3: even though there was some really bad reporting on that. And it really just came down to the guy wanted to kill as many people as he could.
0: Yeah, had nothing to do with Batman. He just went into a theater. Yeah,
2: he was just going to kill as many as he could. Still. Yeah, let, let's look at the Best Picture winners. We go Moonlight, Shape of Water, Green Book, Parasite. One of these is not like the others. It's crazy how much Green Book does not fit
3: that at all. Because the other three are going to be studied in film school
2: forever. Oh, yeah. Because, like, um, Green Book was directed by uh, Peter Farrelly, who gave us Dumb and Dumber, Shallow Hell, There's Something About Mary, so...
3: And in all fairness, two of the movies you just brought up are still really great comedies. You can guess which one isn't.
2: Yeah. Peter Farrelly doing Green Book was him walking so that Todd Phillips could run for Joker. And how Todd Phillips comments about how, you know, you can't do certain kinds of comedy anymore. And it's like, okay, you're already at, that side. Jesus. This would be a
3: good time to talk about someone who discovered that you can absolutely go back and do exactly the same kind of comedy you did this time. Cause there is one person that was really good at doing comedy in this age. Shall we talk about Sasha Baron Cohen here? Mm, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because Sasha Baron Cohen discovered you could go right back to doing the kind mm-hmm. of comedy you do.
0: And uh, even better at that.
3: Now, I should note that I have not gotten to see Borat 2 yet. I just haven't had time or access. Likewise. I still intend
0: to. So I'm the only one who's seen it. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, I don't want, again, you know, we've talked, I think we've talked briefly about it in the, um, the quarantine watches, but I will just say, yeah, it's pretty spot on, and I think it will live as a document to what happened at the end of 2020 and you know trump presidency and corona and um it'll live as a document to um uh, just point out all the hypocrisies all the yeah it's all the stuff that satire is supposed to do very well too and on the same breath i also want to give a brief mention to uh, space force on netflix it did not directly reference trump but it poked a lot of fun at like what an absurd idea this is and you know
3: a lot of his ideas i haven't seen that one yet but i'm not shocked greg daniels is one of our better satirists and uh,
0: mm-hmm. oh yeah it does a very good job
3: what i will say i have i have seen a bit of cohen's uh showtime show and he was he was still on his game i you know one movie that it didn't it was not made during the the Trump administration, but I think it did... It should have set the bell for this is what you need to do for satire is we have to briefly mention Get Out. Yes. Because that should have been what artists drew from. Strive to be. Yeah. Um, and not everybody's Jordan Peele, to say the least.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Um, but I think Jordan Peele... He was on his he was on something about how nice racism is still racism basically was the theme of that movie and we did a cast on it and yeah it's it it's a probably the best deserved Oscar of the entire era yeah
0: and uh, I think you know I was thinking about that recently just how stark the uh, oh I would have voted for Obama a third time if I could
3: you know uh, sounds especially right now when we people tried to basically i mean there's no denying that part of the appeal of biden was it was like we got to
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like yeah you can't you know to go back to pat Well, you can't pat yourself on the back too much there no it's like there's there's a deeper problem here
3: there's a much deeper problem here and we need to acknowledge it and and Peele was onto something as someone who was mixed race. And I, I really hate that his Candyman, the Candyman that he produced with uh, De Costa directing, uh, did not get to come out in this era. Um, it was uh, delayed by COVID. I mean, one thing we have to acknowledge is that we probably have some art that would have been a little bit more commentative on Trump because it had the time to get made. And the pandemic pushed a lot of stuff back.
2: And now we're getting a bunch of pandemic films.
3: And I don't want to watch a single goddamn one of them. Uh, Yesterday I read uh, the 2020 run of Big Nate. And a lot of comic strips shifted to deal with COVID. And Lincoln Peirce very clearly, he made one reference to it. And otherwise, he very clearly set his strip in a universe where COVID did not happen. And can I just say how much I loved that? Because Peirce was super topical on a lot of other stuff in that strip. But he knew that it would derail his strip to try and talk about it, and so he didn't. By contrast, Bill Amend absolutely made it part of Foxtrot, and Amend, and it was brilliant. And so you've got these two guys taking the exact opposite approaches, and I think both of them did the right thing for their art. Both of them knew what they could or could not do. And I just think that 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 was something that I, I found really fascinating, because Amend was only some was has of course been Sundays only for well over a decade now, but it, it's interesting how strong his foxtrot is in this era. Even though he only gets one strip a week, he really managed to land some good stuff. If you can go and read his stuff from this year, it is some of the best stuff that got made about COVID. But by contrast, I'm not mad at Purse for not doing it in Big Nate. I it was just as effective that he didn't and. Yeah, I sure as hell don't want to see the COVID-themed movies. I don't want to watch them.
0: No, we lived it. It's too...
3: There is one exception. There is one exception of COVID art. I liked visiting Pawnee. Ah, yes. Yes, we got the return of that this year.
0: Um, just for, like, the one-off uh, that it was. And, uh, Perfect.
3: It was great seeing old friends. <laughs> and the thing was... It also was of a piece with what Parks and Recreation always was. It was always a very direct, commentative show. Um,
0: Yeah, and it was always about the community. Like, that was the heart of the show was, like, the community,
3: like, just in general. Okay, and I'm fine. I'm going to think of, and I thought of another thing, uh, another work of COVID art that I thought was very good. And I'm going to hell for saying this. Okay. Can I just say that Law & Order SVU has handled it really phenomenally? Really? <laughs> yeah, shockingly. Hmm. They've done some tremendous art about life during COVID. They've done some really great episodes. Law & Order SVU should not be as good as it is right now, frankly. But And I kind of hate myself for saying that about a show that basically is why police brutality is awesome. But, you know, it it, 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 it they've done some good stuff. So... I'm just going to say it. Um, God, we're, we're hitting so much stuff. Um, and while I'm on the subject of comic strips, because I don't want to put that away, I do want to know maybe my favorite...
2: Pearls Before Swine?
3: Pearls, before, Pearls swine. before Swine. Oh, yeah. Pearls Before Swine has been... Of course, Stephen Pastis has nailed it. Stephen Pastis has not been off his game even in the slightest during the Trump administration.
2: But, like, there, there was that notice he had to put out about the strips that were made before the insurrection that were being published afterward he did but that's because past has an almost
3: supernatural grasp on what the world is doing right now and he he
0: also made the choice like because you know i think any other uh well not any other but many other uh people in like publications would have shied away from oh shit like this is untimely and he he just went ahead and went like you know i have to be i have to be transparent about what these were but i'm gonna put them out because i think they're more prominent now yeah and i think
3: and he's earned the goodwill he's earned the goodwill he means this stuff yeah he had a really good run in this it's interesting uh We're talking about comic strips because I think that those were the rare place that really got to deal with some of this stuff on hands-on area. Pastas did some fantastic stuff in this era. Um, I did want to note the closing of uh, retail, um, which spoke to the reality of an experience that really evaporated in these four years. Online retailing became the norm, and I I got a, a real blast of that this weekend. Um, because I placed an order on Friday afternoon for two books that I could not find in stores. They were by noon today, they were in my hands. That's that's the that's what we're living in. And when you have that kind of convenience, it is, you know, Barnes and Noble is majorly downsizing. I think that when the next administration is up, I don't know that we're gonna have bookstores anymore. I don't know that we're gonna have Best Buy will still be around but it will be an appliance store.
2: It, it really much is, because I was just there the other day. Like Fort Wayne has two Best Buy locations, one up north and one at down south, which is where I am. And the one up north doesn't sell movies anymore. They really don't. And the one down south, there was a very small selection. I'm just like, this, this isn't the Best Buy I remember. I mean, here's the thing, why why would we need to? It was during this administration
3: that um, one day Lola was asking to watch Frozen, and I ordered it You know, sitting on the couch, and it was just there instantly. We're in the age of digital media. I mean, and I have mixed feelings about that, but it's where we are.
2: Now, uh, within the COVID era, there was the uh, renewed discussion about physical media and how digital services very rarely will put their stuff on physical media. Cause like the rare exceptions that I do know of off the top of my head, stranger things, master of none, orange is the new black.
3: And two of those were made, were made by other studios for Netflix and thus kept the rights.
2: Right. But now you're seeing, uh well, thanks to Criterion Collection, you're seeing some of these streaming exclusives making their way to physical formats. Because what started it off was Amazon, believe it or not. Because uh, the uh, Cold War, yeah, it was Cold War, and then it moved on to Alfonso Cuarón's Roma, which that was just bad. Ro- Roma was. Don't don't bother watching Roma. It's it's not good. There's a lot of thorny issues within it beyond the scope of the film that Quaron has not really dealt with or acknowledged. But because it's Quaron and the way that he films things, sure, whatever. But then you also had uh, Scorsese's The Irishman,
3: which there should not be a, a Scorsese film without a physical release. I mean, that's just, that's just wrong.
2: Okay, yeah. And then uh, a few weeks ago, we just had the Hulu uh, documentary, uh, Minding the Gap, uh, get a physical release. And then last week, we saw uh, Scorsese's other uh, Netflix film, uh, Rolling Thunder Review, The Bob Dylan version of Orson Welles' F for Fake, which doesn't work out as well as you would like. I would imagine. I would imagine. Because at least Orson Welles was honest about where the line was drawn, and it also helped that he had a thing for magic and being a showman. But we're starting to see digital-only stuff being released on physical, and it... I go back to what Mystery Science Theater 3000 always says at the end of their episodes, keep circulating the tapes because you never know when it's going to be removed.
3: And, you know, they've had to keep, they've had to keep that very much something that they thought about with riff tracks because sometimes they lose the rights to some of their films. They're, mm-hmm. they, they've never been subtle about the fact that they know people bootleg their stuff and even kind of encourage it to a degree.
2: Yeah, it's at the end of every single Rift Tracks video on demand. Yeah, don't donate. And I'm
3: not going to say that I've never bootlegged some of their stuff. Of course I have. But, like, I've also bought a hell of a lot from them just because they keep their business practice honest. And, yeah, and that's the key. You know, one of the few, two times I went to the theater last year was to see Rift Tracks Jacko. If you can keep that kind of loyalty with me, that even during a pandemic, I try to go see your stuff. Yeah. That's all I ever ask for. Um, And we have to pause if we're going to be talking about critics of Trump who were comedians in this era and just raise a glass to Bill Corbett for
2: all that he's done. And Frank Conniff. And Frank
3: Conniff. And Frank Conniff. Those two men have been lacerating. They are, you know, they are proof that the guys that you loved in your childhood were worth it, um, unlike a certain Dilbert creator.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: <sighs> God. You know, I was the other, I was looking for audiobooks because I'm taking a trip in a couple of weeks to go see my brother, and I passed by a collection of Scott Adams stuff. And it made mm-hmm. me sad, because mm-hmm. I liked listening to those audiobooks. Adams was actually a really funny reader. Uh, he, he actually did a fantastic job reading his own stuff, and his stuff was funny, and I can never go back to it. Uh, I've thrown away all my Dober books.
0: I had his, uh, his standalone, his nonfiction book. And looking back, like, yes, yeah, it was funny. I loved him in the time. But looking back on the way he referred to people. Anyone that wasn't a man? Yeah. Yeah, that too. But just people in general. I'm like, wow, he has a real contempt for humanity. Like, calling your uh like nicknames for bosses and coworkers like cow workers it's like okay um he was he was always obvious it was just that we weren't looking exactly and not really paying attention to the implications and i was a teenager during that time and uh like it was, but now just looking back it's like wow
2: you're kind of a
0: real piece of shit huh
2: <laughs> although you one person from the 90s that managed to make a comeback, surprisingly, was Gary Larson. Let's not forget about him. Yeah, Gary
3: larsons he's done some fun stuff.
2: Yeah. Farsight is still as great as I remember it.
3: Oh, and you know who's coming back soon is Mike Judge with Beavis and Butthead. Yes. And if it's anything like the last revival, we should be strapping in for greatness. Because that last revival was fantastic. I just think every few years, Judge gets the idea for episodes and does them. (laughs) And that's great because we need Beavis and Butthead right now. Which is funny because Judge is fairly conservative to my understanding. But, I don't know, Beavis and Butthead never played like it. They never played like it. In fact, actually, one of the best episodes they did was critical of the evolution debate in the meanest, most vicious way. I, it's one point that I wanted to make, and I'm going to take us in a wildly different direction here, but, you know, it's easy for people to say, well, why wasn't there good art during the Trump administration? And the easy, you know, when there was such good art during the 60s or during the Bush administration, etc cetera, and it's, it's like, can I just say that 60s anti-war art is so much overrated and such, like, we blow that so far out of proportion for boomer mythology. And that... There probably was stuff like this during the Trump administration, and we'll see it and we'll recognize it with time. Just as, even though it was a huge hit at the time, I feel like American Idiot rose to the cream of the crop while um, uh, Fahrenheit 9 11 curdled.
2: Oh, yeah. Let, yeah. Kind of forgot Michael Moore tried doing that with Trump as Fahrenheit 11 9. Let's just forget about Michael Moore.
3: I think. I think as a culture, we have moved beyond the need for Michael Moore, period.
0: That's one of the things in my show notes here was, uh, like, I came across
3: Fahrenheit 11.9 and went, I don't even want (laughs) to. No one one even, because we didn't, because that's the thing, because we had such instant access to analysis, we were trying to figure out what happened immediately. We don't need a rehashing. But, like, what I was saying about 60s art is we forget that It really wasn't like we talk about it. Like a lot of 60s protest music stunk. I'm sorry, but it did. And a lot of that stuff, it's interesting as a museum piece, but do we really listen to it? I'm a big fan of 60s music. And the stuff that I go to is the pop. It's not the political stuff. Um, It's the fluff,
2: because everything else just hasn't aged well. Does that make any sense? It does, and I've got a number of things to discuss about music in the Trump era. Well, let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. It's no surprise that I've brought up Roger Waters a good number of times throughout these episodes, even now. And he did make a political album, Uh, Is This the Life We Really Want? Which, on the surface, it's like, okay, we're going to get, you know maybe some classic Floyd thrown in there and, you know, Roger doing politics as usual. But it's one of those where the anger is definitely there. It is most certainly there and was very apparent in his uh, Us and Them concert where he played a a few tracks from it as a showcase. But it's one of those where I've seen people complain about how he's taking swipes at Trump and not really even bothering to realize he's always done this? Yeah. Because, like, if, if you look at his work with Pink Floyd, yeah, you have, uh, well, obviously the wall, and then animals, and then his, uh, basically all but in name, Pink Floyd album, The Final Cut, which is Thatcher-era stuff. And it's not until his solo work when you get to uh, stuff like Radio Chaos, where you tackle Cold War themes set to music, and and then his follow-up, Amused to Death, partially inspired by the Neil Postman book of the similar name, and discussing the Gulf War, He's always done this stuff. It's just that you people haven't been paying attention. It's like the people that show up to Roger Waters' concerts, and there was supposed to be one last year. Uh, This is not a drill that was supposed to happen, but has since been pushed back for obvious reasons. The people that go to his shows already know what their politics are and what his politics are if you go there and end up being quote-unquote triggered in the right-wing conservative use of the word you already made a mistake by walking in like there's a sequence in us and them that the concert film where like he's doing a live version of money from dark side the moon and it Right after the second verse, you think, okay, it's going to go into that long in- instrumental break. And it just fucking cuts to black and doing like a, a remixed version of Run Like Hell. And you see like the words on the screen talking about how Trump is a loser, how nobody wins in his world, etc. And so he then ends it with so long, loser. And you hear him scream so long, you fucking loser. And then it immediately cuts to it the atomic bomb. Classic atomic bomb footage with war sirens going in the background. And then it just fucking resumes to money. But like, you should have known walking in what his stance was. He made it very perfectly clear. To a lesser extent, we saw Paul McCartney try to do his own version of a protest song. With uh, Egypt Station, he did a song called Despite Repeated Warnings about how the ship is in danger, what are we going to do? The captain is not doing a thing about it. And it's very much a Paul McCartney song, but Paul doesn't really have the same kind of voice and weight for political stuff as does Roger Waters.
3: And I think that's something that I'm kind of relieved that we didn't see too many people making too many mistaken stabs at this in music. I didn't see that as much as I was afraid I was going.
2: Yeah, there was one that I saw a little while ago, thanks to the sudden revival of Allie and AJ doing a song called Joan of Arc is on the dance floor. And what they did was they... the, The video is a direct homage to Dreyer's The Passion of Joan of Arc. Wow. Like, and even specifically mentioning, like, dryer and roger deakins in in their special thanks because they ended up using one of his cameras as well as dryers in terms of like that's insane and awesome but but the thing is the, the thing is the framing device is the kavanaugh hearings because of dr ford and so contrasting that with joan of arc in her final hours where she's thrust before this panel of men looking down at her completely doubting her story to dr ford and trying to say hey these are the legitimate reasons why you should not put him on the bench only for kavanaugh to bluster his way through it as we all saw and even dedicating the the video to Dr. Ford as well, as they should. Yeah, like it's a lower, it's a lower key protest song, but it's one of those that that was really unexpected, honestly. And I found it fucking refreshing.
3: You see, that's the kind of thing that I I want to see, which is if you're gonna do this, mean it. Just don't, you know. I, I saw a friend post about. A memory about the women's march and about how it now felt so cringe and he's right because that even though the cost was so just it felt like it was making it about them and i don't know it, it felt very white is the only thing i can say it felt very white
2: yeah it wasn't it it was indeed very very white and i guess if we want to go even further down down the whole uh i mean punk music they're they never ran out of any material these past four years i can tell you that much i'm just state
3: punk, punk. I'll,
0: I'll say that one last mention i want to throw in before we wrap up is um uh the watchman tv show is brilliant oh
3: yeah we really we really need to acknowledge that um I'm guessing that was probably heavily conceived during the Obama years, but it it feels like a reference to Ferguson. Totally. Yes. I like that. It's not fully comfortable with anything. I don't think it has any good answers.
0: Nope. And, uh, I saw it like in the midst of like now and, uh, like just it's, it's more, it was more poignant last year. Uh, like it came out in 2019 it just feels like it was more poignant as time went on. And and we have to say, if we're
3: talking about people who really thrived in this era, Regina King's uh, last few years had been something. She just had an acclaimed theatrical uh, debut as a director uh, with One Night in Miami, which I'm hearing is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, And she won an Oscar for If Beale Street Could Talk. And then she won the Emmy for uh, Watchmen. Yes. And I should note, it was nice enough to retweet me. Nice. Because so, I noted that she was getting the car- the kind of career boost that actors usually get after an Oscar. The only way that I want us to go out is not to focus on the past, but to focus on the good, to focus on our good accomplishments. So let's round the horn. Zephyr, you start. Let's talk about our accomplishments in the last four years. Because I want to end this on a note of hope.
2: Within the last four years, I've stood up to my father a couple of times, unfortunately, but it had to be done. I've moved out of my childhood home. I'm still living with my current boyfriend, which also meant that I had to come out to my folks as well because that definitely happened in the trump era (sighs) yeah um right now um i've worked two jobs one of them was abusive as hell and absolutely for the privileged at least in terms of product but my current job is now one that should benefit everybody at least in, in theory and practice I've had some of my work featured on The Thinking Person's Guide to Autism. That happened in the past four years. I've made a couple of wonderful friends whom I love near and dear to my heart. I've been able to see you guys in person. That was fun. Mm-hmm. I'm right now I'm still working on the whole transition thing and lord is it ever difficult but i'm being i'm trying to be more authentic at least in myself i'm learning to actually stand up for myself and take the consequences when they happen and learning how to deal with them i've I've definitely become stronger over the past four years. And I'm wondering how much stronger am I going to get? Because this is more than likely going to happen again. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah, This mm-hmm. is going to happen again at least once or twice within our lifetime. It shouldn't have happened at all. But here we are. We're doing this now. Just need to keep fighting.
3: Yeah. Yep. That's all we can say.
2: Yeah. That's my four years. Never.
0: Uh My four years. Well, I started out... Uh, well, I moved out of my parents technically under the Obama administration like a year before that ended. But in that time, uh, I found love at the beginning of uh, 2017. And, well, I met the person who I was going to be with at the beginning of 2017, I should say. Uh, I feel like I've always been with her, so, yeah. <laughs> so you know, there's that. But, um, yeah, I would eventually, you know, realize that I had those feelings in 2019 uh, and admit them to her. And she admitted them to me as well. And uh, we're still together. I, we live under the same roof now. We have a dog and a cat. Oh, let's see what else. I've changed jobs in that time uh, to something that slightly lower paying, but I think, will be more beneficial in the long run. I've done a few little health improvements. Okay. Uh, yeah, I got I got myself a CPAP machine, which has made my life so much better. Just yeah, th- of course, you know, since being with Tab, things are better. Still around. around. Uh, <laughs> I have to say, most of my accomplishments in the last four years have been tab. Uh, <laughs> there you go, finding her, and you know, also finding myself in that. And of course, started a new podcast just last year uh, with you two, and that's that that I feel is an accomplishment. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, so, yeah, made made lots of new friends, which I am very glad to have also worth noting i did cut myself off from two toxic relationships good you know which i'm not saying wasn't hard it was very hard to do especially since you know i'm not one to quit much sometimes you know things just drive you nuts and you can't do it anymore so you have to tell yourself hey it's done <laughs> <laughs> you know so that's also significant and i learned how to better do that Um and spare myself. So and of course I continue to to go on a journey with you two. And that's wonderful. Getting to do our you know, group therapy in the chat. Yeah. So all that's
3: real good. And I hope that continues. Continue to grow. I'm gonna just get through mine real quick. Um, I've continued to watch my daughter grow from a baby to a full little girl. I lost one I lost my job but rebounded within six weeks to a new one. I've moved uh, just within the city. Um, I did have a nervous breakdown in 2017, but I survived it. And, I mean, that's it. That's it. That's all there is to say. And uh, it's been a long journey. It's going to continue to be a long journey. But we're here, and we're going to fight. And the Omniplex is closed for the week.
0: For the week. And we're coming back with uh some real real good stuff. We have plans for y'all. We got some big guests coming. Yeah. In the in
2: the near two months we've been on hiatus. On hiatus, as it were. Or on holiday, if we wanna tie Green yep. Day back. <laughs> exactly. Go. On the holiday. Uh, yeah, we haven't been idle,
3: so we have uh we have some big guests coming and some big plants and some big episodes so find us very easily
0: we're at the omniplex.org on twitter we're at the omniplex facebook facebook.com slash the omniplex also there's a site called PodChaser where you can leave an easier view or if you're on itunes do that too like basically anywhere you can find us rate us you know it helps us out and uh that's it from us bye everybody that's the fascism Fascism. The, the fascism.
1: Anger wants a voice, voices won't sing. Singers harmonize till they can't hear anything. Thought that I was free from all that questioning. But every time a problem is, another one begins, and the stone. It's inside a place you thought was dignified I don't want to live like